Ten years ago, quetiapine went generic. But that hasn't stopped the flow of knowledge on this antipsychotic. And today, we bring you 12 updates from recent research. Welcome to the Carlat Psychiatry Podcast, keeping psychiatry honest since 2003. I'm Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlat Psychiatry Report. I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric NP and a dedicated reader of every issue. It is the best of drugs. It is the worst of drugs. So begins Paul Riordan's review of quetiapine, Seroquel, in this month's Carlat Report. And as we comb through the research on quetiapine, that Dickinsonian's fact kept standing out. Sometimes the med had extraordinary benefits that are shared by no other antipsychotics. And at other times, we found papers where it showed extraordinary risks. In bipolar disorder, quetiapine stands alongside lithium for its large effect size in all phases of the illness, mania, depression, and the maintenance phase. Yet, quetiapine also tops the list of psychiatric medications that prompt visits to the emergency room, a fact that's probably explained by its high rate of side effects, sedation, orthostasis, falls, and, over the long term, weight gain. In this companion podcast, we're going to bring you the latest research updates on quetiapine. Here's the methodology. We go to PubMed, type in quetiapine, with the letters TI following in brackets, for all the papers with quetiapine in the title. 247 papers in the past three years. Then we read all the abstracts to narrow it down to the ones that are most informative for everyday practice. You'll learn new uses and new side effects for this old drug and get a better sense for where it fits in schizophrenia and mood disorders. We'll weave all that in as we walk you through the history of this antipsychotic. Quetiapine was developed in the early 1980s by Edward Warara, a chemist working at a small pharmaceutical company, ICI, in Wilmington, Delaware. Dr. Warara's goal was to modify clozapine so that it would not cause agranulocytosis, and he modified clozapine by adding a piperazine structure that he had cleaved off the antihistamine hydroxazine. He then altered the atoms on the rings, replacing them with sulfur, oxygen, and nitrogen, and testing the new compounds out in rats until he found the one with the best antipsychotic effects and called it quetiapine. ICI was bought by Zeneca, a precursor of AstraZeneca, which finally launched quetiapine in 1997 for schizophrenia, joining risperidone and olanzapine in this early crop of atypical antipsychotics. At the time, no one was talking about weight gain or diabetes on these meds. Those studies were all buried by the pharmaceutical industry. But what did have everyone talking was a risk that seemed unique to quetiapine. The medication looked like it might cause cataracts in beagles at high doses. That worry faded over the next few years and a 2015 study finally put it to rest. They compared ophthalmologic outcomes for quetiapine and risperidone over two years in 1,000 patients with schizophrenia. The ophthalmologists were blinded to the treatment arms, but they could still see through the slit lamp to test for lens obfuscation in the patient's eyes. 
The result, both antipsychotics had similar effects, and quetiapine actually had a lower risk of cataracts on some of the measures. So we can rest easy about cataracts, but another side effect that stood out for quetiapine was QTC prolongation. And you're still likely to see this risk emphasized in textbooks, even though the latest data on it is reassuring. The QTC interval is a marker for arrhythmias like torsades to point. And that's the point. It's just a marker, much like gray hair is a marker for age. But we all know lots of people who turn gray in their 30s and others who keep their color into their 50s. In the case of quetiapine, the drug does prolong the QTC, but it does not seem to raise the actual risk of arrhythmias very much, even when it's given in the ICU. This is a complicated subject, and we cover it more in our textbook on prescribing psychotropics, but suffice it to say that some of the antipsychotics that have a high risk of lengthening the QTC, like quetiapine and zeprazidone geodon, actually have a low risk of causing torsades to point, while others with minimal QTC effects like aripiprazole, abilify, have a higher risk of causing this potentially fatal arrhythmia. Now, all this does not mean that quetiapine is free of the arrhythmia problem. No antipsychotic is. And the patients you need to watch out for are those with electrolyte disturbances, cardiac disease, or those who are taking multiple drugs that might prolong the QTC, including cocaine and stimulants. Even as psychiatrists became more comfortable with these risks, they were slow to adopt quetiapine. First, the dosing was not clear. We know now that you need at least 400 milligrams a day to treat schizophrenia and mania, but at first no one knew where to land in the 25 to 800 milligram range. The second problem was that people were dosing at two to three times a day, which makes patients very groggy. Later, studies compared once-at-night dosing to twice-a-day dosing and have found no difference in outcomes, but a big reduction in side effects. The third obstacle that held quetiapine back was the perception that it just wasn't very effective as an antipsychotic. That one may have a ring of truth to it. When antipsychotics are lined up by their effect size in schizophrenia, quetiapine lands in the middle or low middle, not bad, but not good, but olanzapine and risperidone rank near the top, and those are the two that quetiapine was competing with when it first came out. In mood disorders, though, we see a very different pattern. Quetiapine stands out as one of the more effective ones in its class, and that brings us to our next study. In 2021, Researchers in Germany compared outcomes for 5,000 patients with bipolar disorder over 13 years on various medications in their outpatient clinic. As in most studies like these, lithium had the best outcomes for bipolar disorder, but quetiapine was a close second. They used a rough measure for bad outcomes, defining it as having to stop the drug or add a new one. And outcomes like this were the worst for olanzapine, Zyprexa. But when we turn to schizophrenia, we see the opposite pattern. In 2020, a randomized trial from Spain compared discontinuation rates for six antipsychotics 
over a three-year period in schizophrenia. Quetiapine had the highest rate of discontinuation, even higher than haloperidol. So which antipsychotic were patients most likely to stick with? Olanzapine, the same one they stayed with in the Katie trial. But notice olanzapine was the one they were least likely to stay in the bipolar study. And if your patient does discontinue quetiapine, a new study from 2021 suggests that abrupt discontinuation may cause withdrawal symptoms. They reviewed 13 papers on quetiapine withdrawal and concluded the drug does have rare but real withdrawal effects. Nausea, restlessness, sweating, insomnia, irritability, anxiety, racing heart, high blood pressure, and dizziness, as well as withdrawal dyskinesias, a problem with most antipsychotics. AstraZeneca knew that their drug, quetiapine, had a reputation problem. Lots of side effects made patients stop it, and it didn't seem to work so well in schizophrenia. Over the years, they tried to find creative ways to improve on quetiapine's efficacy and tolerability. On the inpatient side, they had to convince doctors that quetiapine could act quickly, but the titration schedule in the PDR was a slow one, starting at 50 milligrams a day and raising to 300 to 400 milligrams a day by day four, which is not even a treating dose for most inpatients. So, the company tested more rapid titration schedules for mania and psychosis, starting at 200 milligrams a day on day one and raising by 200 milligram increments every day. That way, you could get to a full dose of 600 to 800 milligrams within three to four days. This strategy probably got more docs to give quetiapine a try, but did it really improve outcomes? A 2019 meta-analysis of these rapid titration studies answers the question, and they say no. Rapidly titrating the drug didn't get patients better any faster than the usual titration, but it did cause more sedation. Sedation was a particular barrier in outpatient practice, and the company developed a few dosing strategies to try to get around that, giving it once a day. All at night helped, but it also increased the risk of orthostasis, low blood pressure, and falls, especially at doses above 300 milligrams. So they developed an extended release form that smoothed over those orthostatic-inducing peak levels. The XR form also gave the company new data, which they used to create a new game of smoke and mirrors. Here's how it worked. The AstraZeneca rep would come by and try to convince you to switch patients from instant-release quetiapine to the XR. But wait, you'd say. I dose quetiapine all at night for depression. And the biggest complaint I get is morning fatigue, so isn't that going to be worse on the XR? The rep would then pull out data showing that the risk of sedation is actually worse with the instant release. You see, they'd explain. We give the XR in the early evening, and it takes a couple hours to release, so your patient can still go about their business until bedtime. Then, because you gave it early, it wears off faster, leaving them less groggy in the morning. The problem with this explanation is that it didn't really match the facts. The studies showing less sedation on quetiapine XR we're comparing XR all at night once a day with instant release given twice a day, 
which of course is going to cause more daytime sedation. Some of the studies just looked at the rates of sedation immediately after giving the pill, which of course is going to favor the XR. And that brings us to our next study, a 2019 meta-analysis of quetiapine in bipolar depression. The authors concluded that the XR was actually more likely to cause morning sedation than the instant release when both of them were given all at night. This analysis also provides some reassurance for those who fear off-label prescribing. Quetiapine is FDA-approved for unipolar depression in both the instant-release and XR forms, but it is only approved for bipolar depression as an XR drug. Well, that approval came later, you know, when the company was dropping its investment in the instant-release. So, fear not. They had conducted studies in bipolar depression with the instant release, and this meta-analysis concluded that both XR and instant release are equally effective in bipolar depression. And the optimal dose is 300 mg at night. The 600 mg dose proved no more effective and caused more side effects. But where did AstraZeneca get the idea to test quetiapine in depression? Schizophrenia. In the 1990s, psychiatrists noticed that mood improved when they treated psychosis with quetiapine and the other atypical antipsychotics. That early observation has held up, and particularly with quetiapine, we found several head-to-head comparisons where quetiapine relieved depression and anxiety better than haloperidol or risperidone when used in schizophrenia. Studies of quetiapine and mood disorders started coming out in the early 2000s, and quetiapine went on to gain FDA approval in bipolar mania, bipolar depression, as well as as an augmentation to antidepressants in unipolar depression. It was the first medication to gain FDA approval for both the manic and depressive episodes in bipolar disorder. And until recently, it was the only one. It is now joined by Cariprazine, Vralar, for that honor. All this history is well known, but you may not know about two indications that it failed to gain FDA approval in, as monotherapy in generalized anxiety disorder and as monotherapy in major depression. In the late 2000s, AstraZeneca submitted trials showing a large effect size for quetiapine in generalized anxiety disorder. They also had proof that the drug works as monotherapy in major depression. Not just as an augmentation of antidepressants, they ran four trials. In three, it worked. And the fourth was a failed trial because the active antidepressant arm failed to separate from placebo. Ultimately, the FDA denied these indications because the drug was considered too risky to justify its use. And they knew if it was approved as monotherapy that clinicians might start using it first line without even trying a safer antidepressant. It did gain approval as monotherapy in depression in other countries, though, like Australia and Canada. This is surprising because every other antipsychotic requires an antidepressant. Antipsychotics don't treat depression on their own. And there's even some evidence that antipsychotics might cause depression. So what makes quetiapine different? One reason may be that it is metabolized into norquetiapine, 
which has antidepressant qualities of its own. So when you give quetiapine, you're kind of giving a built-in antidepressant. Norquetiapine acts kind of like an SNRI, like Cymbalta, Duloxetine. We don't recommend using quetiapine on its own as monotherapy in unipolar depression, but if your patient is unable to take an antidepressant for any reason, it's good to have this option in your back pocket. Actually, there is one other antipsychotic that might work as monotherapy in unipolar depression, lorazidone, Latuda. But that is only in depression with mixed features. A new diagnosis in DSM-5 that captures patients whose depressions have a few manic features but don't meet full criteria for bipolar disorder. Unlike lorazidone, quetiapine failed to gain approval in pediatric bipolar depression even though quetiapine is approved in pediatric mania for ages 10 and above. In 2020, a new meta-analysis looked at all the studies in pediatric bipolar depression, all two of them, and concluded that quetiapine does not work there. And on the subject of quetiapine does not work, we'll add a few more. It missed the mark in delirium in two randomized trials from 2021, one where it was tested in active delirium and another that looked at whether it could prevent delirium. This is not unique to quetiapine. Most antipsychotics are turning up negative findings in delirium, and the general consensus is that their risks rarely outweigh their benefits there. But we can also add a new use for quetiapine, people with bipolar who have OCD. In a randomized controlled trial from 2021, quetiapine outperformed placebo in stable bipolar patients with active OCD. The mean dose was 325 milligrams a day. Although the study was small, the results were impressive with a positive response in half the patients on quetiapine compared to only 5% who responded to placebo. We close with a new risk for quetiapine, hypothyroidism. This is one of those side effects that's buried in the PDR. Yes, it's actually mentioned there and rarely gets talked about. Even though the Maudsley guidelines recommend an annual thyroid function test for patients on the drug. A new review looked at all the evidence, 32 papers, mostly observational studies, and concluded that this adverse effect is likely real, but it's rare and the causation has not been definitively proven. Read more about quetiapine, including dosing strategies and a little-known drug interaction with lamotrigine in our online issue. And while you're there, get $30 off your first year subscription with the promo code PODCAST. And now, for the word of the day, Witzelsalt. Wisselsocht is a symptom of inappropriate humor seen in neurologic and psychotic disorders. These patients make puns or tell inappropriate jokes or pointless stories in socially inappropriate situations. Like a good straight man, the patients are usually immune to other people's jokes, not even cracking a smile while their own off-color wit sends others into laughter. Witzelsalt is among the many signs of psychosis that Conrad Schwartz detailed in our interview on psychotic depression which will feature when we return in two weeks.
start earning CME credits for all of our podcasts by following the link in the show notes. The Carlat Report is one of few CME publications that depends entirely on subscribers. Thank you for helping us stay free of commercial support.